So as we get started this morning, I have a question for you. And that question is, how would you define the word church? What is the church? This day on Pentecost, we often think about as the birth of the church. So my question is, what is the church? Do we talk about it in terms of the vision, like at La Jolla Presbyterian Church, where we say our vision is to experience and express the transforming love of Jesus Christ? Uh, do we talk about it in terms of mission? In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's the great commission that Jesus gives to us. So what is the church? Is it a building? Is it a gathering of people? Is it all of the above? I think about growing up in the church. My parents were a part of that and took our family from a very young age. And we were a church plant. As I think about being a kid at church, we really had no church home. We, Even though we were a Presbyterian church, we started off meeting in a Methodist church. And then we wound up at a Christian uh, college. And I think we moved two or three other times before we actually finally bought property and built a church facility. But as I think about the early days of that church, I, I, I don't think about a building. I think about the people who were a part of my life. I think about my Sunday school teachers, uh, Francis McConnell, who taught my third and fourth grade Sunday school class, the Qualley family, who taught me when I was in fifth and sixth grade, uh, the Yerkeses, another family that were my middle school teachers, and ultimately my parents were actually our high school directors. Because we didn't have a lot of money. We were very different than La Jolla Press. We didn't have a big facility with lots of staff. But we were a community of believers. And there was something about being in worship together, something about being family together, something about being on a journey together. So much so that when I was ordained and installed as a pastor in Texas, almost 26 years now, 26 years ago, uh, which is crazy, Francis McConnell, my Sunday school teacher, flew all the way to Wichita Falls, Texas, to participate in that service. And what an incredible gift. And what she modeled for me was the church that travels together and the church that lives together, the church that does community together. So this morning, we want to spend some time talking about the church and doing so in a very different kind of context in the midst of COVID-19 and coronavirus. What is the church and has the church changed? And, and certainly our mission has not changed. But, but how do we make sense of that and how do we talk about the church the day of Pentecost, which is today, uh, it was a Jewish celebration. It was a Jewish feast, one of the three festivals that they held every year. It came 50 days after Passover. So you have Passover, which happens right around the time of Easter. And then 50 days later comes Pentecost. And then the third feast would have been the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so it's on the day of Pentecost that we read about this story in Acts chapter 2. Now, before we get to Acts chapter 2, though, well, let's set a little bit of the context, because back in John chapter 14, Jesus had already told the disciples about what was going to happen. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, because Jesus knows that he must ascend to heaven in order that the Spirit might be sent down to earth, the Holy Spirit might indwell our lives. So in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says this. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I am leaving, but I will send to you the spirit of truth. I will send to you the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying and what he's describing in that is what happens on the day of Pentecost. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. I will be with you. And so then we turn our attention to Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrives. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Interesting, the sermon last week and the sermon this week, there's both this confusion around the spirit who moves and prompts us. And sometimes people think that they're, they're intoxicated, but the Holy Spirit's at work and they're asking the question, what does this all mean? And ultimately what all of it meant was the birth of the church. Now the word for church in the Greek language is the word ekklesia. Uh, it originally had to do with the Athenians and the gathering of, of male citizens. They would gather for an assembly, and it was called ecclesia. But the church began to take that word and change it a little bit. It comes from two Greek words, the word ek, which means out of. Now, I have to tell you, uh, when I was taking Greek in seminary, I was always looking for different ways to try and remember Greek words. And so the word ek means out of. And back in the day when I was in seminary, I was a huge, I still am a huge Oakland A's fan, and they had a relief pitcher named Dennis Eckersley. And what it meant was that Eck would come out of the bullpen to go in and win games. I don't know about you, but I'm really missing baseball. I know it's a first world problem, but I miss baseball. But Eck, Dennis Eckersley would come out of the bullpen. So Eck means out of. The second part of that word comes from the word kaleo, which means calling. And so the church literally has to do with a calling out of, a calling out of one thing and into something new. When we think about the mission of the church, the vision of the church, about transformation that happens through Jesus Christ, this is what is happening with the church. It is called out of society and into something new. It is called out of the home and into something new. This is then the beginning, the mission of the church. We're called into something new. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the church as well. In John, he talks about Pentecost. 
But in Matthew, we actually see this word church. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And he's speaking, speaking to Peter. And he says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus says, I am going to build my church. I am going to do my thing. And when he uses that language of the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, he's talking about ultimate darkness. And what Jesus is saying is that what I am doing, nothing will overcome. Darkness cannot overcome it. Evil cannot overcome it. COVID-19 cannot overcome it. There is nothing Jesus says that will overcome the creation of my church. And if you think about that, that is the truth. Nothing has been able to overcome the church, the hope that is found in the church. Churches gather underground. I mean, when you think of some of these third world countries that we are aware of, the church can't even gather in person. They don't even have that option. They can't even talk about their faith. And yet so many places, the church is growing underground because people are seeing the hope that is found in Jesus. And I think what Jesus is saying is he looks at Peter and the rest of the disciples that are there. He's saying, I'm going to build my church. And I'd love for you to come along and be a part of that. I'd love for you to come and be a part of that story of that mission that God is calling us into. And it all begins here in Acts chapter two. And if you continue to read through Acts chapter two, you get to hear the incredible speech of Peter that comes out of the Psalms and the book of Joel. And then you read about how the early church led. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the breaking of bread and the fellowship and to prayer. And, and the church begins to move. And as, as we read through the first part of Acts, it's actually just moving amongst the Jewish believers. It doesn't really reach the Gentiles until we get to Acts chapter 10, when Peter hears the word to go and speak to Cornelius and his family. And as Peter is there, the Holy Spirit descends. And it's really basically another Pentecost, if you read about that story. But Peter is now proclaiming the gospel message, not to Jewish people, but to Gentiles, to those who would have been considered outsiders, to those who would have been considered unclean. And the gospel is on the move from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, as Acts chapter 1, verse 8 talks about. And it keeps pushing out. And even amidst persecution, because in Acts chapter 8, you may recall, there's this tremendous persecution that breaks out because of Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. And the church is scattered. But the people keep taking the message. They keep taking the hope, which I think is the message for us, is that, that our task, our calling as we are to be a part of the church, is to continue to spread that love and hope of Jesus Christ with our neighbors, with our community, and with our world. And so that's what happens. And then we get to Acts chapter 11. And as that message is going out, and the whole book of Acts is about the continuing ongoing message of Jesus Christ as it is shared amongst others. We get to Acts chapter uh, 11, and we read about the church in Antioch. This is verse 19 of Acts 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed 
and turned to the Lord. So that church at Antioch, the the believers, the community of faith that is in Antioch, it's an interesting place. Antioch was a huge city, third largest city in the Roman Empire. And, and it was made of a people of all different ethnic uh, ethnicities. They came from north and south and east and west and Chinese and, and Indi- people from India and people from Greek and Greece and Rome and, and scattered and Jews amongst that. And what they've found, and we've talked about this before, is that when they went into the city of Antioch, when they began to excavate the city of Antioch, there's obviously a wall around the entire city of Antioch. But within the city of Antioch, there were also interior walls built. And within the city of Antioch, they have found 18 different sets of walls that were built. And what they conjecture and what they believe is that every ethnic group lived behind those walls. 18 different, 18 separate quarters for people of different ethnicities. Because they were tribal. They lived amongst their own. But something happened in Antioch, and if you keep reading through Acts 12 and 13, you discover this. We discover that, the, that, that believers, that those who followed Jesus, were first called Christians in Antioch. And the question has been, why? Why in Antioch? And what people believe is this. Is as these people from these dif- different ethnic quarters, as people from different races and cultures and creeds, came to know Jesus, they moved out of those communities and they gathered together and worshiped and nobody knew what to call them because they weren't simply Jews. They weren't simply Greeks. They weren't simply Chinese. They weren't simply Indians. They were something new. And so they began to use the word Christians to describe them. And all of that happens Because of Pentecost, because the message of the Holy Spirit went deep into the apostles' lives, went deep into people's lives, and they went out from where they were. They were not inward focused. And I think that that's something very important for us as the church to hold on to. Because oftentimes the church has become inward focused. We're worried about our own. We're worried about our own uh, building. We're worried about our own facility. We're worried about surviving rather than thriving. I think the message of the gospel is very clear time and time again, is that the church was created to thrive. But sometimes we get in our own way. And and, and that happens, and we, we shouldn't be surprised by that. That happens in scripture. Peter, who went to the house of Cornelius, who led his family to Christ, who baptized his family, who went to this Gentile's house, an unclean house, and preached the gospel. What happens just a little bit later? Well, he starts saying, you know what? I really shouldn't hang out with Gentiles. I shouldn't hang out with those who don't eat kosher food. I shouldn't hang out with those who aren't circumcised because they are unclean. And Peter loses his way so much so that in Acts chapter 15, the great council of Jerusalem is called so they can deal with this issue and deal with this problem. Think about the churches in Revelation, the seven churches that John writes to. He writes to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was, was one of Paul's beloved churches. He spent over two years in the city of Ephesus preaching and teaching. And we hear from John, we actually hear from Jesus. You've lost your way. You've forgotten your first love. To the church in Laodicea, 
Jesus says, John, you need to write this. You've become lukewarm in your faith. You're neither hot nor cold. And so I'm going to spit you out. Folks, this is within 40 years of the churches being planted. And in Ephesus and Laodicea and other places, we find Jesus rebuking the church because they've lost their way. They've become inward focused. They've lost their first love. They've become concerned about things that are not things that are utmost of utmost importance. And so he calls them back to faithfulness. And so we, as the church, we, we need to, to watch ourselves because it is easy to lose our way. But here's what I love. The message of the gospel is that God takes broken things and uses them for his glory. When Jesus gave us the church, he knew, he knew we weren't going to always get it right. He knew that even with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we were still going to lose our way. But we are treasured by God and he takes our brokenness and our fallenness and still works in the midst of that. That is why, my friends, the church is still here. Jesus said, nothing can come against my church. And I believe that. So how about us today? How do we remember this idea that we are called out and not just called in to community? What does that mean for La Jolla Press in the midst of uh, what we're hearing now about churches or houses of worship being able to gather again? It, it, it's a wonderful idea that has been given to us and a wonderful opportunity. And I know a lot of folks are eager to gather again. So I want to kind of let you know what, what we're thinking. Uh, our elders met earlier this week and, and prayed through and thought through what should the church be about? How do we continue to serve our people and create a safe environment for others. And the elders unanimously decided that here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait. We recognize that there are provisions made for reopening of church campuses. We also recognize that in three weeks, all of that's going to be reevaluated and everything is going to possibly be changed. There may be more, more strict standards and the standards may be less. We're not exactly sure what those are going to be. But we want you to know that we do miss you. And we're going to continue to provide incredible online worship experiences. We have opened up our campus for staff that want to come in or need to come in to work from campus. We've now begun to record our musicians, our soloists, and our band in our sanctuary. And you'll begin seeing some of those changes in the upcoming weeks. One of the things that we've decided to do is we're going to create two different worship services. We're going to have a more traditional service and a more contemporary service because we realize we're asking our musicians, our soloists, our band to come in and, and basically sing one song. And, and, and we know that they'd like to do more. So in the upcoming weeks, you'll hear about that where we will have an experience for you. If you, if you like the more traditional service, you can watch that. If you like the more contemporary service, you can watch that. If you like both, watch them both. Uh, my sermon will be the same. Susie's message will be the same. So that's going to continue. There's not going to be many noticeable changes in that. But we are thinking through what does the future look like? And we have a session meeting in four weeks where we'll reassess everything. But in the interim time, we're going to be working as staff and as leadership to prepare our facility for whatever opening up might look like. Now we recognize the church has never closed. Um, in one sense, our mission is not just about what happens on our campus. It's about what happens in our community and in our world. But we want to take some time to think through how do we create 
safe spaces for when people do return, when people want to return. For those who don't feel like they can return anytime soon, we will continue to do online worship. We know that has been very valuable and very important for many of you. One of the things that you can do to help us in this is we are going to be sending out a survey. It's actually probably already been sent out by the time you're hearing this sermon. Uh, there'll be a link below that you can go to on our website. And what this survey does is ask some questions about how willing you are to come back to church. It asks some questions about how you're doing. And we're not con- collecting this to learn from each of you individually, but more from the whole church of just where are people at? What are people thinking? And we know that we miss one another. But we also want to provide a place and a space so that when we do gather, people feel safe in returning. And we'll be continuing to communicate with you what that's going to look like over the next several weeks. We ask for your prayers in the midst of that. Our mission has not changed. The churches that meet underground, they continue to do incredible works of evangelism and sharing the message of Jesus. So just because we cannot gather in our sanctuary or in our fellowship hall or in a small group at the church campus, we still have this incredible mission that God has called us to carry out. Be reminded that Jesus is with us. So I want to go back to the very beginning of my sermon. And I want to tell another story of Francis McConnell, my third grade Sunday school teacher. Francis had an incredible impact on my life when I was very young and I didn't even realize it. She loved the world of missions. She herself ministered amongst the Laotian community that lived in Fresno, California. She talked often about doing the work of the Lord in different places, locally as well as globally. And as a child who sat in her Sunday school class, I'm sure I heard those things and I'm not sure that they ever went in. But as I think about who I am today, a lot of who I am today is because of her influence of talking about the importance of the church being on mission. A number of years ago, Frances was dying of cancer. So I reached out to her and let her know that I was thinking about her and praying for her and let her know, especially the impact she had on me when I was a kid. I mean, it's amazing to think she flew all the way to Texas for an ordination service of me becoming a pastor. And I said, I'm praying for you. And I said, how can I pray for you? And this is what she wrote back. She said, thank you for praying for me. Selfishly, I have told the Lord that I am ready, actually eager to go home. But if I need to suffer to glorify him, I will gladly do so. How to pray? Just pray that I will be able to give witness of his love even in time of pain and suffering. These were the last words that I heard from Francis McConnell. But I think about her legacy and I think about in her life and almost in her very last days near her death, she was pointing away from herself and pointing to Jesus. When I think about the mission of the church, I think that pretty much sums it up. We must decrease so that Christ must increase, whether in suffering, whether in isolation, whether in the good times or the bad times. We as the church are called to point people to Jesus Christ, who is our rock, our hope, 
and our salvation. Pray with me, please. God, we don't have all the answers. We live in a time of uncertainty, but we are certain that you are with us. We do long to be together. And Lord, we are working on ways to make that possible. But in the meantime, would you continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit? Allow us to walk in grace and truth and to live and to love and serve. Lord, that as we experience the transforming love of Jesus Christ, we might be able to express that to our family, to our neighbors, to our community and world. So God, would you guide us and lead us? We ask in your son's holy name. Amen.